Welcome to episode 177 of the Rugby League Republic podcast with your hosts, Tish and Dr. T. In this episode of the podcast, we discuss the dramatic reduction in NRL head office, the latest on Toronto Wolfpack, the Redcliffe Dolphins, and much more. Join us as we build a rugby league community for all. The Rugby League Republic podcast starts right now. Welcome to episode 177 of the Rugby League Republic podcast, where we aim to bring you the everyday fans' perspective on the greatest game of all, Rugby League. This is Rugby League for the people. I'm your co-host, Dr. T. Joining me is Tish. Tish, how are you doing this week? Uh, Dr. T, uh, look, despite it being the last round of the NRL, I'm, I'm actually quite pumped. You know, we're heading into the finals. Um, you know, we're sort of... Uh, talking about how the team's going to line up next year. State of Origin has been announced. Uh, you know, look, so many different things happening in the NRL. Plus, you know, the weather is warm. It's spring. Um, you know, it's uh, it's it's good time in Australia. COVID cases are going down in most parts of Australia. So I th- I, th- I think uh, you know I think we're walking on sh- sunshine a little bit. How about the yourself, Doctor T? Yeah, look, um, you know, I, I think you've hit on something here. The the theme of today's episode is uh, slashing, it's cutting down, uh, whether it's COVID cases in Victoria, mm. whether it's, uh, you know, uh, <laughs> whether it's uh, reducing your opponent's lead, whether it's yes. cutting cutting the eels down to size, you know, like any anything you want to think about, and of course there is the one big thing that has been cut down, which we need to talk about. No mm. doubt, we will talk about very shortly. The NRL um, has cut itself down wow. to size quite a bit to uh, keep up with the financial losses as a result yeah. of all the COVID uh, situation. So, yeah. look, uh, that's definitely a very strong theme running through this uh, this podcast today. But yeah, th- there's a lot of hap- a lot of things happening. I did I did want to say that you know we had spoken about this last week and how I, I kind of felt like there wasn't really much of a uh, how can I say uh, you buzz. Know, Buzz, buzz is the right mm. word. There's not much mm. buzz for the finals, and I, I'm still not sure if I'm quite there yet. <laughs> but there is, uh, I feel like the tide is turning, Tish. I think mm. that there is, you know, we've got like, what do we have now? One week to go <laughs> yeah. before finals, and um, that's it. It's going to be the final game of the year before, uh, you know, Mad Monday. Um, a, a socially distanced, COVID-friendly Mad Monday for eight of the teams, and the other eight teams go through to the finals, and it will be a very weird, weird situation because uh, at this stage of the year, we should already be done <laughs> with most of the finals games, but instead, we're just yeah. about to start, so it's going to be really, really strange uh, weather-wise as well. Um, you know, we're already well into uh, w- what can you call it? The spring cleaning. Mm. of uh of of the nrl uh not just head office but also in terms mm. of culling of eight of the teams yes uh, definitely more cutting 
more cutting of teams and more cutting of things. So spring cleaning mm. is mm. Uh, the uh, the word of the day, yeah, uh, I, I think, think so. in this episode. But um, Tish, without any further ado, shall we just jump into the six tackles? I think we should dive straight in. Let's do it. Here we go with our six tackles and tackle number one, the round 19 wrap. So let's just quickly go through the scores uh, and we'll quickly go through some of our highlights. So look, the first game uh, that we're going to talk about is, uh, you know, very uh, an upset. You know, the Bulldogs Mm. 26-16 over the Rabbitohs, a bit unexpected. Um, the Panthers doing it easy, 32-12 to 12 against the Cowboys and securing that minor premiership with a game to spare. Um, the Eels, 26-12 over the Broncos, uh, probably not as much as they would have liked in terms of the Broncos being used to 40-point floggings uh, of late. Another surprise, Titans, 42, defeating the Sea Eagles, 24. Uh, really coming up strongly at se- uh, the end of the season here, the Titans. Uh, Melbourne Storm, unfortunately, fifty to twenty-two over your West Tigers. Uh, the Roosters, thirty-four to eighteen, over the Sharks. Uh, Warriors four, uh, sorry, the Raiders twenty-six fourteen over the New Zealand Warriors, and finally the Newcastle Knights forty-two to eighteen against St George Illawarra Dragons. Tish, what was your highlight? Of uh, of that round, well, I think the um, obviously the most uh, surprising result is the wooden. Well, they were destined to be wooden spooners, but they uh, managed to scrape themselves out of the bottom. But the Bulldogs beat, beating the Rabbitohs, you know, Team Sixteen uh, getting a victory over like you know one of the teams that have been established all year in the top eight in the Rabbitohs, and uh, yeah, great effort from there. And it was very surprising they even lost. Uh, Lewis, uh, you know, early on and, you know, just a great effort. So that was kind of a very enjoyable game to watch. And then, um, you know, Penrith, very clinical against the Cowboys, you know, Parramatta, you know, just everything is kind of um, had kind of gone to plan, of course. And then, um, yeah, obviously the uh, Melbourne Storm uh, wiping my Tigers away. But, you know, there's nothing much for the Tigers to play for. And, uh you know, fortunately for us, it looks like we won't come ninth this year, but uh, but we'll come tenth probably, or even lower than that. So, uh, um, yeah. So, so at least we didn't come ninth, I suppose. That's, that's a bit of a silver lining there, maybe, maybe not. Um, <laughs> and then you and, and look, I think the uh, Raiders actually came back uh, against the Warriors as well. Like I think the Warriors ha- were showing sh- some good form. So yeah, kind of a kind of a mixed bag. And and look, let's not forget, uh, I did see. Newcastle Knights, the the demolition of uh, of the Dragons. It was a uh, it was a pretty terrible, um, uh, pretty pretty terrible sort of uh, result for St George Illawarra. You know it's bad when uh, you know when they've got their interim coach saying that they wouldn't be able to beat Dapto. <laughs> The dragon, so <laughs> that's a that's a pretty pretty harsh call there. So look, um, yeah, lots of uh, lots of results there, and look, uh, even uh, you know, you know, uh, Ricky Stewart saying uh, saying a little bit to the co- uh, to the uh, you know Graham Mannersley, you know, saying that he's a nice guy, but they're not on the same uh, same world when it comes to rugby league and and the interpretation of the rules. You know, Craig Bellamy flipping the bird on Cameron Smith for breaking his try scoring record. Maybe this was the last record. 
that Cameron Smith wanted to break before uh, before retirement. Maybe maybe that's what it is. Uh, so yeah, look, I think all in all, round nineteen, we didn't we didn't expect much out of round nineteen. Let's be honest, we all knew what the finals were going to be, uh, but I think some you know some really interesting results and. Uh, yeah, I suppose it does set up around 20 now because uh, I think that's left a bit of uncertainty as to where some teams will end up in the top eight. Yeah, absolutely. And look, uh, from my side, I think the Bulldogs, uh, you know, ending uh, ending the season a little bit stronger. I think with that win against the Rabbitohs, yeah, they've. Uh, I think the Broncos are very clearly now down the bottom of the ladder yeah. uh, from for and against. And that was... Uh, you know, we were kind of saying that that you know it would be it would seem like justice for the Broncos to end up on, on the bottom, considering uh, the very poor effort that they've been <laughs> providing on several occasions. It almost felt like the Bulldogs didn't deserve to be down there, down the bottom, given that they've been, you know, fairly competitive almost in every game. And when you look at the for and against, it's very clear that the Broncos uh, something's not quite right there. And I think the only way to kind of, uh, you know. Uh, punctuate that season, the, the the terrible season that they've had, is to mm. actually uh, for them to come last. <laughs> I think that's one way, you know, that maybe that's one kick up the backside that they need as an organisation yeah. to get things moving um, again. And and look, you know, we want to see the Broncos successful again because uh, you know if we're talking about a second Brisbane team, which we'll talk about later as well, another of the contenders, we do want to see that the Broncos are. Um, uh, continuing to have the success that they used to have. So, um, but yeah, and the other thing that's interesting I saw during the week is that the Sharks could have a, uh, depending on what result they get this weekend, they could have a particularly unusual and unwanted record of being the first finals team in history to have made it to the finals without beating any of the to- the rest of the top eight sides even once. Uh, I don't know if that's confirmed, but I saw that in the media today and I thought, well, you know, I think that they're playing against Canberra as well. So that will be very interesting to see if that if that eventuates, that will be a very unusual kind of situation. Uh, But yeah, look, I had a feeling that they beat the Rabbitohs. Oh, okay. Well, let's let's see. But that could be Brisbane as well. So because, you know, Wayne Bennett sort of. He's True. everywhere, away. You can't can't remember which club he coaches. Anyway, that's <laughs> right. Could be could be the Neil's coach for all I know. I don't know, <laughs> yeah. but um, but yeah. So look, uh, some some pretty interesting highlights. I think I think again, mm. some of the, you know, look look for some of the the teams that are you know really putting in some great effort at the moment. The Storm and the Roosters and the Panthers really setting, uh, setting the pace. I would say uh, yeah. quite deservedly in the top three and. Look for one of the bolters in the bottom half of the top eight, uh, possibly Canberra, although they haven't really got out of second gear all year. Um, Sharks not really doing much. Rabbitohs with their loss to the Bulldogs, I don't know. But the Newcastle Knights, Mm. they are starting to gear up again. So let's see how they go. But all right, that's our wrap of round 19. We've got one more round to go. We'll talk about that later. Just, but let's so move just, into. Sorry, just, yep. just before we go on, just just very quickly on the Broncos, uh, I think to highlight that point, um, they are 160 points behind points differential to Team 15, yeah. so that's pretty bad. Um, so yeah, but yeah, but clearly deserving the wooden spoon. I think Brisbane this year. Yeah, exactly. All right, let's move on to attack on number two. Here we go.
All right, so this is a big big news that's come out this week. Uh, in fact, just in the last day or so, uh, the NRL has had to let go 25% of its staff in head office in a drastic $50 million a year cost blitz. Uh, new NRL chief executive officer Andrew Abdo has informed his staff that 25% of them will be made redundant in sweeping cash-saving changes. He addressed the NRL staff on Monday morning to inform them of the devastating news, and the NRL is basically on a mission to save $50 million a year, uh, obviously due to uh, the coronavirus lockdown situation. Uh, although, Tish, it does feel like a lifetime ago that we were, mm. uh, you know, it was dire straits for the economy, etc. But for the most part, most of the economy has kind of got back to work. And mm. so it's kind of interesting that in that very brief period where the NRL was shut down, uh, you know, voluntarily, I might add, you know, mm. um, and, uh, you know, obviously other businesses, a lot of people have lost their jobs, etc. But I think I think it's a, you know, there is some resilience there and people were talking about the NRL be resi- re- being resilient. But even though it wasn't much of a lockdown and much, wasn't much of a shutdown, uh, and they, they still ended up being on the front foot with the broadcasting rights and securing a, a contract to, you know, to ensure that players would get paid, they are still anticipating a loss of $130 million this year. So mm. it just goes to show, um, you know, and also a lot of that has to do with wasteful spending, which is obviously why former CEO Todd Greenberg lost his job. Um in the last month, uh, the NRL has let go Chief Operating Officer Nick Weeks and Chief of Corporate Affairs Liz Deegan, uh, and staff will learn over the next week or so whether their jobs will be impacted by redundancies or not. Um, so, yeah, big, big news there for the NRL. What are your thoughts, Tish, about this uh, this massive and drastic uh, spring cleaning that Andrew Abdo has uh, undertaken? Yeah, well, look, I've heard that... Uh you know, it's been quite devastating at the NRL. Even Trevor Gilmeister had to give up his nickname. He's no longer the Axe because um, that now will be assumed by Andrew Abdo. Um, and <laughs> as the as the cost-cutting king. Uh, but look, I think, I think early on uh, during uh, Drastic Changes, you did hear that they were uh, cutting costs left, right and centre. You know, they were just getting rid of uh, sort of the, um, you know, the nice-to-haves and, and just going back to basics, back to essentials, um, you know, uh, you know, getting rid of the water coolers, you know, the, the planting costs. Maybe there's a couple of aquariums in the NRL office that they had to get rid of. Uh, but, look, probably one thing they shouldn't have kicked out is probably their calculator um, because I've got to say, you're right. Like when you first think, okay, yeah, cost cutting, I could sort of see, you know, they've been affected by COVID. So many businesses have. I can see how they've lost revenue and all that sort of stuff. But then you look at the actual, the biggest, uh, you know, money spinner for the game is the television contracts. And, uh, you know, we had reports of what a great job they've done in sort of securing that. Um, and, you know, they've had, uh, you know, they've had, they had a couple of weeks off, but they were, they, at the end of the day, we've had uh, 20 rounds. We've only lost, what, five rounds, I think it is. Um, I know State of Origin is yet to, to sort of take place. Maybe some of the contracts with the different venues has sort of diminished from that point. So, um, And there are some added costs as well due to, like, all the traveling now, the you know, the fly-in, fly-out type thing. Uh, but then they are saving money on hotel costs. So 
Um, it's really interesting that they still need to cut 25% of their staff. Um, you know, so it is uh, obviously, you know, our condolences to everybody that, that has lost their job. Uh, you know, it's a very tough time for a lot of people out there. There's already, um, you know, over a million people in Australia that, that actually have lost their jobs during the whole time and there's less government assistance for people as well. So it's a, it is a really tough time for a lot of people out there. So obviously we don't like to hear uh, of people losing uh, their jobs at all. Um, but, but yeah, but look, uh, I'm sure the NRL uh, did need to get rid of of staff, but I think 25%, I don't know, for some reason, I just feel like it's a very high number. Um, but look, you know, I'm not an accountant. I don't have access to their financials. We don't know what the situation is, but hopefully, um, you know, all the lessons are learned this time around and that, you know, the NRL every year turns over a profit. So there's enough in the reserves. There are enough assets built up so that any other type of disaster that ever happens in the future, that there is actually a war chest of, of finances uh, that can keep the game running. And, um, you know, let's let's hope for, I suppose, smarter spending of the dollars, I think, for from the NRL. So that's my thoughts on, on that. What about yourself there, Dr. T? Yeah, look, it's uh, it's unfortunate. It's a big, big news because after all the positives that we've heard with PVL turning things around, turning that Titanic around and uh, getting us back on track, uh, probably Titanic wasn't the best analogy there, but you know what I mean. <laughs> like it, uh, trying to get us back on track, and uh, you know, bringing in a new CEO, mm. Abdo, who, uh, you know, like I've said to you before, Tisha, you know, when we talk about um, what kind of uh, CEO, what kind of leadership we have within any organisation, but especially in a big sporting organisation, a billion-dollar one like the NRL, you do need to look at, you know. You can't have someone who's all things to all people. Usually mm. you have someone who comes in for a specific purpose or who mm. has a specific skill set, you know, and someone like, uh, you know, Peter Volandis, et cetera, was brought in uh, who mm. has that kind of, uh, you know, the business uh, business nows and, and uh, has been able to apply it in another uh, sport as well uh, and and who's, who's managed to come in and be a bit of a Mr. Fix-It and... Um, you know, he's brought in Andrew Abdo with limited experience at the highest level of a sporting organisation, but with a very strong financial and business background and mm. and one who is, he trusts, you know, he's almost his sidekick in a way. He trusts so much and uh, mm. and you can tell he's, this is kind of what he was employed to do is to, yes. is to fix these sort of situations. And, you know, I've got to say that, uh, you know, as a, as a fan of the game who wants the best for the game, you, you do want someone like that who's able to, um, you know, apply a, a good set of skills to the key problem, which is getting our finances in order. And mm. really, you, you want someone there who's detail-oriented, who yeah. uh, is going to go through all the details. And at the end of the day, if he decides that, look, you know, we're going to have to make some tough decisions – you kind of also want that as well. You want someone who knows what the details are, who can find savings yep. where, where he can, he or she can, but at the same time can also back that up with, well, you know, we can't possibly make, uh, you know, balance the books unless we make some drastic cuts and we do it now. Mm. And he's also got to back it up with a bit of leadership and a bit of strength. So it's a very, very difficult time for those people who are going to be losing their jobs when you consider the fact that, you know, 
a few months ago, a few short months ago, we were talking about potentially everyone in the NRL losing their jobs. Uh, It is, Mm. um, it's a, you know, I I guess we would have had to reset our expectations about what that meant uh, in terms of, you know, how stable that kind of a job would be in this day and age. Um, But having said that, you know, uh, I think Andrew is the right right guy to get through these uh, these tough uh, reforms and and to basically like, like I said you know having someone who's detail oriented and who's uh, who you can trust is going to be quite um, thorough yeah. with his view of, of the finances I think is a is a good thing for the NRL so let's Absolutely. see what happens um, yeah sorry last word Tish well I believe his license plate is now the Abdominator. So uh don't know if that's true or not. But look, uh yeah, look, I, I think I think you're right. Like uh you know, you got somebody who's who's more um you know, less invested in the game from a sort of enjoyment, entertainment point of view, but looking at it from a purely financial point of view and actually trying to make those right decisions. I think that's kind of the right like it's the right uh person for, for the moment sort of thing. So um yeah, but look let, let's let's hope that yeah. Uh, these cost-cutting measures don't go to waste, that that money does get uh, sort of uh, re-put into the future of the game, like sewn properly, I suppose, is what I'm trying to say, you know, like uh, invested properly into into what it needs to do. Um, and then, yeah, and then and then hopefully, yeah, hopefully um, there is, uh, you know, for the, all those people that lost their jobs, hopefully that they, they could uh, sort of land, land a new role uh, fairly quickly. Yeah, and look, just a final word on that. So obviously, Abdominator is uh, is uh, is one one uh, possible nickname. Uh, of course, the the ones that didn't quite make the cut were uh, the Abdominable Snowman, uh, and what's the other one? The uh, the Abdo Crunch. Uh, yeah. <laughs> obviously, uh, everyone needs to do the Abdo Crunches during COVID to stay fit, but. Uh, <laughs> No, I think we'll stick with the Abdominator for now. But uh, well done, Tish, for that. (laughs) All right, let's move on to tackle number three. All right, so the NRL is set to trial a a few new rule changes in round 20. Uh, And uh, so the aim is obviously that they want to avoid blunders like they saw in uh, South Sydney's loss to Canterbury, where the Rabbitohs were awarded a try without consultation with the bunker when Jackson Paulo slid over in the first half. Uh, and, of course, the replay showed that the Bunnies winger had put his foot in touch before grounding the ball. So uh, some of the rule changes that are going to be trialled in the Broncos' clash with the Cowboys and Sunday's Warriors versus Manly match are, firstly, referees who think a try has been scored will award it without consulting the bunker. Up until the conversion attempt is taken, the bunker will be able to review the try and overturn the referee's decision. Interesting. Mm. Uh, let's Actually, let's go through each one one by one. Uh, so yeah. what do you think about that one, Tish? So this, again, uh, in, in, in layman's terms, what that means is uh, referees can just award the try if they believe there's been a try, but regardless of that, of whether the bunker has been officially consulted, the bunker will have an opportunity to review the try mm. while uh, the celebrations are taking place and the uh, the 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 conversion kick is being uh, about to be attempted. So that gives them, you know, gives them probably a minute or two, or two 
which is good because it's kind of, uh, you know, you don't want the bunker to overthink things and take forever. Tish, what do you think about this? Because they And then they do have the power to overturn decisions. So even if the referee didn't call on the bunker, the bunker can call back and say, um, actually, you awarded a try. It was no try for whatever reason. What do you think about that one? Well, um, yeah, look, I think... Um Look, before commenting on uh, sort of this rule individually, I've got to say that um, this trial is against the standard design of experiments uh, in that, you know, there are four keys, um, you know, replication, randomization, and local control. <laughs> and and to be honest, it's not local control because you are testing five new rules. There's a four, four or five new rules in two games. Right. So if any of them are a success, you actually don't know which one is the success or not, right? Because you haven't localized each individual rule to a particular game, which is what you need to do. Um, so, I, look, I have made a complaint to the Australian Council of Research, um, you know, so um, yeah, and the ARC Research Integrity Policy of 2019. Uh, so, anyway, but look, moving on to this specific rule. Uh, yeah, it, look, to be honest, um, uh, your, I think I think in principle it makes sense. You know, obviously we don't want um, you know tries to be un you know awarded or unawarded unfairly. Sort of you know changes the the result of the game. You know, in a big way, the actual point scoring, but it also um, puts the bunker under pressure on a time pressure to get a decision done. And um, I don't know. Sometimes in my experience of making good decisions, I don't know if if putting a, sort of a time time frame on it like you know the, like you know people play the five second rule you know three you know name three birds that start with start with s or something you know you probably know them off the top of your head but then when you're given only five seconds you you, you can't even think of them sort of thing so i kind of feel like you know they're going to be rushing around looking for different angles and they'll probably miss something just in the rush of um you know that 30 second break that they've got in between uh allow, you know the allowed and disallowed try so i'm not i'm not 100 sure whether this is uh, the best decision or not. I feel like it should be more like a casual rule a, a little bit where, you know, hey, look, the guy scored a try. Oh, they're lining up for a goal. Oh, my God, we missed it. You know, his foot was in the touch, you know, that kind of thing. Um, I think that makes a bit more sense. I don't know if uh, I don't know if if independently the NRL bunker, because this is like the first, this is the, the first time the NRL bunker can intervene without somebody on the field asking them to. And I don't know if that should be... I don't know if you're opening up the door to more and more little, little changes to, in the end, it's all the NRL bunker making the decisions about everything. Yeah, I... I look, I, I kind of disagree with your point there, uh, your, or your other point before around mm. the time uh, pressure thing, because mm. I think actually part of the problem is has been that they've it looks like they've gone over and over with super slow-mo for various complicated uh you know try scoring situations and overthink it in a way uh Mm. and whereas i think the time pressure means that you know they're just going to have a a limited time it's not a split decision like like it is in in real real time for the actual on-field referee, they still have the benefit of rewinding and, and changing angles and all that kind of stuff. But the idea is I think that that will capture more errors than not. And I think on on the one hand, 
in, if you're looking at the the percentage of true, truly accurate, uh, you know, try scoring situations and decisions, you're going to get closer to true accuracy there by allowing at least someone to review. Uh, in a very limited time period. And I think it'll be more accurate if you do that than if you just let people have, let the bunker have forever to decide because they can easily nitpick on things and get it wrong. So I think okay. I think there's that, that situation. You bring up another point though, which again, if we're trying to get to more accurate truth uh, in decision-making, you know, the, the issue about whether, um, you know, uh, whether the bunker should intervene without being called on is a good is a good issue. I think that's an interesting mm. one because it, it it does set a precedent now, and it will be yes. a, it's a new world. Having said that, I think that potentially another trial they could do <laughs> again, yes. whether you, whether you want to do it properly with uh, with proper research methods or not, <laughs> is uh, is try try to do it with where where the bunker rather than just saying to the referee no we're going to overturn the decision they send a call out to the referee to come to a uh, like they do in is this what they used to do with the var in the soccer or, or whatever or where the nfl right the referee is the ultimate arbiter of this decision and mm. has to go down to the camera you know a particular display somewhere on the side of the field to look into this thing and and they they can be shown. Look, Jared Hayne put his foot in touch or whatever, you know, mm. that kind of thing. And th- then it becomes a collaborative decision. So the bunker yep. can say, look, before you let this guy take, we want to show you this. We think that it's a no try. It's ultimately your call. And that's it. Now, to me, that is that still puts the decision in the hands of the the uh, the ultimate referee. judge who is the referee mm-hmm. it doesn't mean it means that the bunker is not deciding potentially but mm-hmm. it is just uh, it's kind of like a tap on the shoulder uh, mate before you <laughs> before this goes ahead uh, you might want to reconsider this so i think it's more like a you know kind of like throwing in a you know a, a, a like a flag like they do in yeah. uh, nfl to say look we need to review this um, gotcha I think that is uh, where it should end up. Um, I think you're right that mm. it's going to open up a can of worms, uh, allowing the bunker to just intervene on those should occasions. Should we have flags? Like maybe the touch judges have got some flags out there. They throw them in. They go, oh, it's a video referee flag. Nah. Like different colours. No, you don't like that. Nah, I think I like, I like the uh, idea of them uh, doing all sorts of hand signals. <laughs> <laughs> You know, I just love the fact that instead of just putting your your two hands together in the shape of a T, they have to actually bring their whole forearm across their head and and shove their arm in the middle of their forearm for to to really show that it's a T. Mm. T for try. You know, I have a try here. I mean, really, did you need to do that? <laughs> have a have a everyone knows that like, if you've got you know people who who are who are kids or don't you know who have, have or no kids know that all you got to do is stick your hand up to your forehead uh, in, and easily can mm. do a shape of an L yeah. uh, on your forehead. And uh, that, to me, is more mm. powerful than a, a big T across your body, across your yeah. torso. But, so. well, well, the no try, I think, is even more controversial because uh, airlines are now actually using that as a part of their safety. Uh, <laughs> moving Instead of moving into the brace position, they're saying move into the no try position 
That's right. right. That's right. And uh, and if you need to go uh, to to the restroom, we have a big T for toilet. Here we go. That's right. Which is also the same signal for a cup of tea. So that's exactly right. It's, it's going to get confusing on the airlines, but really, that's <laughs> yeah. their problem. It's not the NRL's problem, Tish. But look, yes. let's let's. That's just one rule. Let's talk about the next one. Only forwards will be allowed to pack into scrums. Clubs will have to nominate 10 forwards among their final 17-man squads, and referees will ensure they pack down at scrum time. Look, Tish, I like the idea of this for many reasons. It is a safety thing for those not in the professional leagues because I believe this has also been done uh, in the younger leagues, I believe, not just in the NRL. So this is across-the-board type thing. I like this idea because I don't like the fact that what what we see is the the backs packing into the you know into the into the scrum so that you can get um, you know the uh, the big forwards ready for a big strong tackle against the weakling backs of the other team. I think it's I think it's a good idea. What do you think? Well, you know, it's kind of interesting. Um, I wasn't too sure about this until I kind of heard, I think it was uh, Mark Guy and Paul Gallen talk about uh, this particular rule and, you know, one was for and one was against sort of thing. But then, you know, one of the things I was saying is that, you know, what about the scenario where maybe like, you know, a forward, uh, you know, they, they kind of don't know what position they are. You know, they sort of get tired throughout the game and when any changes come on, they don't know if they're a forward or not. And then I realised that, um, you know, the fr- <laughs> like we call the props the front rowers <laughs> and we call the... The you know the second row is the second row is that's that's actually the name of the position, um, and the person who's the lock is the person that locks the scrum. Yep. So so <laughs> like like you know we don't have wingers playing in the middle because it wouldn't make sense. You know the fullback is the person that's you know all the way back sort of thing. So I think I think kind of it's going to make meaning and purpose to these some of these positions again sort of thing. Um, so yeah, I think, I kind of think like, why do we even have to write this in? I feel like this is something that should be almost a given. It's almost like, um, I feel like this rule is, uh, in particular is kind of like, Hey refs, how come you guys haven't really you know, been policing this for the last 30 years? Like it, you know, it's kind of gone away from the game and it does need to come back in. I think actually players having positions that they play. Totally agree, Tish. I think uh, it's one of those things where we've let uh, people have been allowed to get away with things for way too long, and mm. it's only when someone looks at the. I guess someone was told at one point, uh, you know, check the rule book, and they looked at the rule book and they realised it wasn't really clear. <laughs> so maybe we need to say clear things like, you know. I mean, look, and in, in this case, I agree. There's many reasons why you need to do this. You don't necessarily need to put other things in the rule book like you know the the person who receives it first off the uh off a of a, a tap restart must be the halfback no it's not always the case that's fair enough but in this case you know it is a fundamental part of the part of the game to have a a, a scrum packed by the forwards and it makes total sense so i agree with that 100 percent. well done and that's a pvl special i reckon that's one yeah. of those common sense pvl rules I think uh, that totally makes sense. So here's another one. After a six again has been awarded, all defending players, except those who have taken up position as a marker, must retire 10 metres from the point at which the ball is played or to their own goal line. Um, right. So 
What this, does that this, mean exactly? Does that mean if six again is called? Now, six again is often called in the middle of a play. Uh, so from what I've seen, something happens, there's been an infringement. Then you hear you, you hear those words, six, to, six again or whatever it is. What do they call it? Set restart. What's, set restart, what, yeah. What's the words that they use? Anyway, whatever words they use, that they so everyone knows, uh, you know, it's six ago again, basically. Um, so what are they supposed to do once that player gets tackled? Then they have to retire ten meters from the point at which the ball is played, or to their own goal line. Uh, isn't that what they're supposed to do <laughs> after yeah. every tackle? I don't under- yeah. again. I don't understand why that needs to be said. It's like. If six again is called, yes, then just as in any other tackle in any other situation, you have to get back a full ten meters, or yep. be at your goal line if it's within ten meters of your goal line. Isn't that? Yeah. Does that really need to be said? I don't think that needs to be said. Yeah. Well, it, it, it's kind of a weird, but so I think the idea is is that when six agains are called, then the the next play, the 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 team that had the call against have deliberately been uh, sort of been offside and then a penalty gets blown. Uh, uh, again, right? I agree, but the idea, I think the but, idea would but be... But the problem is when you them. tell people... Yeah, sorry? <laughs> they, oh, shouldn't, they, shouldn't they just penalise them for being offside? Like, they'd be <laughs> well, offside that's... anyway. <laughs> the thing is, that's what that's what they do anyway. That's what I was thinking. Like, <laughs> I, was, I was thinking, okay, they must do it. Okay, great, awesome. What happens when they don't do it? You get to blow a penalty. Well, it's kind of the same thing. They should be doing it anyway. So uh, I'm actually not too sure. Unless what I think they might be, I mean, the other way that this rule, because I don't think they've been too clear on it about exactly what this means, but I think the other idea is that maybe that um, as soon as the six again is called, everybody has to run back 10 metres. But then that becomes a way bigger advantage than what it currently already is. And uh, the thing about the six again, which I've kind of, um, it is a big advantage when it gets blown. And I feel like the attacking team has a lot of momentum. Um, and it's really hard to, once you've got momentum in, uh, in the NRL, um, I think it's really hard to wrestle it back. And I think it's becoming harder and harder. And I think the more you add to this six again, the worse it will get because really if the other team's got the ball and they're on a roll, there's there's a limited amount of things you can do to try and sort of arrest that control away from the game. Um, you know, and and part of the reason why all these ruck infringements are taking place is because you've got the I spot a you know, the team that's sort of falling behind, they're trying to uh, you know, get a bit of a slow play the ball or something like that, just so they could actually make sure they're not going to get steamrolled. Um, so are we going to see comebacks sort of go away from this rule? Like, you know, as soon as, is it going to come down to first try wins? Like, that, it, it pretty much, uh, you know, a lot of games are ending up like that at the moment as well. So I, I don't know. Yeah, I, I, look, I'm a fan of the six again rule, but I, I, I do see the other side of it a little bit where I do think it's, Maybe it, the advantage is just too much, and I think I think you kind of have to give some sort of leeway to the team that's actually receiving, well, on the receiving end of, the, of this sort of call to try and, and help them, or try to work out a way to try and make sure that they don't get too far behind before they could come back. And uh, yeah, but that, yeah, that's my thoughts on that one. 
Yeah, look, I, I, I'm going to be a bit harsher. I think uh, the first two rules that we just spoke about, I was all on board. This one is one of those ones that I think doesn't need to be said because, uh, you know, it, it just it's obvious that, that you would need to go back 10 metres. It's part of the rest of the, the, the main critical elements of the game anyway. I would say uh, I would go further than that and say that this rule is uh, it's ridiculous and it's it's almost it's in terms of the momentum as you said the momentum it's going to give players if you read it to the letter and inter- interpret it to the letter then it implies that as soon as that six again has been awarded that you all the players need to go back another ten meters and that is just going to lead to with when it's within the context of a play in progress, uh, a tackle in progress. It's going to uh, lead to some dramas and some misinterpretations. I mean, this is what, the way it's written. It's one step closer to uh, to saying, you know, after a six again has been awarded, all defending mm. players must uh, uh, stick their heads down, thumbs up. You know, like you may as well just say that because yeah. it's, it's going to give an equal amount of, uh, you know, advantage to yeah. the attacking team, which is exactly what your point is. So I agree with you there. Um, the final one is the handover touchline rule concerns where play is stopped because the ball or a play in possession of the ball has gone into touch other than for a 40-20 or 20-40 kick. Play will be restarted with a play the ball by the non-offending team. Uh, I, I'm i not sure what that means. <laughs> it's a bit okay, confusing. So- uh, it's, can you explain that to me? Yes, yes, yes. Okay, so when you kick the ball out, uh, at the moment, uh, there's a scrum, unless it's a 40-20, uh, right? Correct, yeah. So the idea is that we're not going to do a scrum. We're now going to just uh, have the other team uh, sort of tap it. So this is, uh, I suppose, a bit like what they're doing in the Super League. Um, so it's getting rid of the scrums even further, it, basically. Getting rid of the scrums even further, right? Yeah. So. Um, yeah, so, so first you're, you're sort of, uh, yeah, it's kind of weird, like, because the, these two, there's two, there's two rules concerning scrums. <laughs> um, and, uh, so you, it's, yeah, so play, yeah, teams have to sort of nominate more players that are going to be in the scrum, but at the same time, uh, we're trying to do less and less scrums as well. So it, it's, uh, it's kind of a bit interesting how they're sort of doing this, but, um, I suppose, I am overall a big fan of it, but then I I also think that the scrum is a time, you know is an opportunity to get twelve players locked into the position uh, you know into a particular you know uh, position and then open up the field a little bit. So I think it is one of those opportunities where the momentum of a game can kind of swing as well uh, because it's kind of a unique situation that uh, that doesn't always occur. Um, so I, I don't know, again, uh, just that value of having, you know, mechanisms in the game where the team that is sort of fighting from underneath has got an opportunity to, to sort of turn the game around a little bit. Um, you know, uh, sometimes kicking the ball, um, you know, uh, into touch, uh, getting a set restart, resting your forwards a little bit, um, potentially, you know, is good. Putting all your forwards actually, you know, in the back line and, you know, destroying a couple of wingers, <laughs> you know, <laughs> um, you know, getting some, a couple of strong tackles. But, you know, that, that those are sort of the little things that teams can at the moment use as a strategy to try and win back a rest a bit more control. And, and I kind of feel like you're sort of taking that away a little bit. So, um, yeah, so, I you know, I think the moral to the story about all these rules is that, uh, you know, the 
yeah, rugby league is a pretty simple game, and most of the play is pretty simple. But then in the rule book, you've got vague rules that need to be interpreted, and uh, we're trying to address those. But I don't think you'd address it with more vague rules. <laughs> and I think that's what they've kind of done here. I think apart from the scrum rule, which is 10 specific players, and these are the players that are going to play in the scrum, everything else is kind of a bit uh, gaga for me. Yeah, fair enough. All right. All right. So let's move on to tackle number four. Here we go. All right. So the Toronto Wolfpack could see a bid to rejoin the Super League. Tish, what is happening with the Toronto Wolfpack? Yes. Well, look, um, uh, obviously earlier in the year, I suppose, very, very devastating news in the Super League to hear that one of the uh, 12 teams – you know, was was unable to meet their financial obligations, uh, and that was the Toronto Wolfpack. Obviously, you know, the Canadian Cub pulled out of uh, their inaugural season in July um, after their Australian owner, I, I don't know if David Argyle was Australian, uh, said that he was no longer able to fund the team. Um, so their participation was terminated. Um, now, since then, uh, uh, there's been potential for new owners to take over the club, um, in Carlo, businessman Carlo Livellosi, who's submitted his plans, including an 80 page doc, uh, document to relaunch the club as an online meeting. Uh, and then he's got an online meeting with the Super League to see if his bid to sort of, you know, buy out the Toronto Wolfpack, restart the franchise, and get it back into the Super League for 2021. Um, and they're going to make a decision um, sort of within a week or so if that is going to be the case. Uh, so look, Dr. T, do you think, Hey, do you think, uh, it's good for rugby league if we could get Toronto restarted and, and be, you know, what, what do you think Toronto need to do if they do get back into the Super league? How can they, cause they were pretty, they didn't win a game and they were pretty terrible. Right. So uh, what, um, can Toronto as a franchise and as a city do to sort of be more competitive in the rugby league scene? Yeah. I mean, look, it's a good point. I think, look, they got their fair and square, so they need to be given an opportunity. And and I think it's it's been a bit awkward and difficult for them given the COVID situation. Mm. I think um, there's there's probably another question that needs to be asked, which is what does the RFL want to do going forward? We you know we mm. we were lauding the fact that this transatlantic kind of competition would. It was a new deal, a new new thing, and a big deal in the world of professional sports. Never really been done before in this way for a a you know a major sporting competition, mm. and uh, it was experimental in a way. And so, mm. in a way, we you know we were sort of thinking, good on the RFL for doing this, uh, for allowing this to occur. Um, but now with COVID, I think we we need to rethink things. Now we know that that there are, you know, in this new world of, uh, you know, possible, you know, border closures and all sorts of things like that, you're, you put, you're putting yourself at risk if you rely on this kind of uh, trans-border mm. kind of uh, games and teams. And so it really does uh, raise the question that, you know, going forward – is it the right model to uh, to have a team like Toronto playing in uh, in this competition uh, on the other side of the Atlantic? And 
uh, or, or is there another model that we need to go to potentially, mm. you know, potentially it was going to be a losing model, you know, to, to have Toronto in the RFL, potentially it was going to be, or in the Super League, sorry, uh, potentially it was going to be, uh, going to cost a, a lot of money and, and it was going to be a disaster. So maybe the COVID situation, the silver lining here is that it allows them to rethink how they do things mm. going forward. I still think I want to see what, happens with Toronto and I think it needs to be more supported than what we saw when when we've when we've seen uh talk about the RFL kind of the Super League coming back there's been yeah. a lot of talk from the UK uh from traditional fans of traditional clubs of the you know who uh were more than willing to to uh to stick the knife into the Toronto Wolfpack and yeah. uh, and not really give an inch to this new unheralded untested side um preferring obviously to to support the the older clubs the clubs that have been there maybe from the beginning of of the uh of the northern union you know and so this is a difficult situation i'd love to see toronto succeed i want to see them experiment a little bit with this uh with this uh situation and see what comes of it i think they need to let it let it, give it a go basically but i think there yeah. potentially needs to be a plan b where if we're going to continue to be in this situation where we're at risk of pandemics and things like that mm. then maybe we our plan b is you know let's use the opportunity for a year or two to see what toronto can do let's give them the support that they need and then if that doesn't work out, then maybe we can go to a model of, you know, growing the game locally in Canada. And and by that stage, you would have done already quite a bit to have Toronto Wolfpack exposed to, to the big money in the UK. And so possibly, you know, by getting a bit of marketing and a bit of exposure, it will lead to more of uh, an investment impetus within Canada itself. So I think having them there is much better than not having them there. And I think yeah. uh, there's a bit of a fork in the road. It could go either way, uh, depending on what else happens in, in the world at large. Uh, Tish, that's my view. What Do you have any quick thoughts on that? Uh, yeah, am I on the right track? I think you are. I think, uh, yeah, I think we do need to, uh, I think it would be good to have some sort of development um, locally in Toronto. I think that's kind of obvious now since COVID, if you have restrictions, hey, the club is not going to be able to to play in the Super League. So we need to have something that is local and they need to have local competitors. You know, Jamaica's, uh, they have a rugby league team, you know. Some people can't believe that, uh, you know, reggae song, blah blah blah. But um, you know, maybe maybe a, a franchise from like you know, kids to Jamaica, and you know, there's talk about New York. Maybe even if it's just four or five teams, you know, a bit like an NRLW style, like you know, playing some sort of, you know, even if it's a small six week competition, I think that would be good if they could do that in the actual Atlantic, uh, you know, northern northern American type series. And uh, look, and have them in the Super League, but have a contingency plan. You know, if COVID fails, um, you know, a bit like how the Warriors were able to sort of live in Australia, uh, you know, adopt a, adopt a town sort of thing. Um, you know, maybe, maybe, maybe we shouldn't go out for the whole uh, Toronto Wolfpack straight away. Maybe we should, 
you know, marry that up with the, with a local town in England as well, where they're sort of playing, you know, a, you know, so, you know, they're playing like you know six or seven, you know, of their regularly say like fifty percent of the games are actually played in Toronto, but then there's another fifty played in like their sort of adopted town, sort of just so that obviously as restrictions ease. You know, there could be a bit of a, you know, it's more of a, it's not a dive straight in type of approach. Uh, you know, it's more of a sort of a gradual approach. And I think that's more of a long-term plan because, you know, sometimes with uh, this whole, you know, okay, we'll let the team uh, leave, we'll let them come back. Uh, there's new owners, there's new thought management and everything like that. It becomes a bit like, you know, first we'll be called the Giants, then we'll be called the Seagulls, then we'll become <laughs> the Chargers, and then finally we're now the Titans. But yet we have won a premiership, and there's always speculation as to what's going to happen to our club. You know, um, I don't think we want to put another club like that in Toronto. So um, yeah, so so I, th- I think the Super League does need to think about how they're going to do this, and le- and let's just not do it. Let's do it strategically rather than you know opportunistically, if that makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. Totally agree. Uh, yeah. Speaking of opportunities, let's move on to tackle number five. All right, so uh, the the Dolphins, the Redcliffe Dolphins bid uh, to be NRL ready is uh, getting very close to fruition with a new stadium uh, having recently been completed. Tish, what's the latest on the Dolphins NRL bid? Yep, so the Dolphins, the Redcliffe Dolphins, uh, have uh, they've just opened their new Dolphin Stadium uh, that houses 10,000. It's got 10,000 seats. I think it's got, um, you know, 15,000 people uh, that is there. So uh, at a cost of $6.5 million, um, you know, of funding from the federal government and Morton Bay uh, Regional Council, they've been able to build this uh, great stadium. Um, plus the Redcliffe Dolphins have, uh, you know, they've uh, reported to have uh, assets valued over $100 million, which would actually make them the richest club in the NRL. <laughs> <laughs> right, if they actually got ahead. Um, so, you know, so they've even created a website, uh, which is the dolphinsnrl.com.au, and you can actually go on there and actually it has, um, you know, it's just it's their bid basically to actually get into the NRL, um, you know, and they report figures, you know, that, uh, you know, uh, they've had a KPMG uh, sort of... Uh, you know, Bernard Salt uh, come in and highlight some things about the Greater Brisbane area. Um, you know, thirty nine percent of uh, of people you know living in Brisbane list rugby league as their main sport of interest. Um, you know, they've thirty thirty two percent over nine nine years in terms of growth to the local area. Um, you know, lots of different things. They've got forty thousand members in their Dolphins Leagues Club. <laughs> which is, you know, that, that's a pretty good head start. And I think, I think what is kind of the biggest highlight for me, um, I suppose two real big highlights for me in terms of the uh, Redcliffe Dolphins. Um, the first one is that they've, they're a team that's well-established. They've got a junior um, sort of talent pool that they could start bringing, you know, nurturing players into the game. And all that is already set up. And I think the other thing is that they should bring a lot of history uh, to them as well. I believe the club is over 80 years old in terms of, you know, a number of, of seasons that it's played and things like that. So I think um, from that point of view, it you know, it, it's it's less of a risk bringing in an established uh, Queensland uh, Cup side and, and bringing them into the NRL. Um, 
and I think I think this this could be a bit of a goal from that point of view. Um, so look, it, it's great to see that um, all these bidders that are trying to get this next spot into the NRL, uh, they're all going out of their way to try and make this happen, and um, you know they're doing their best to to, to sort of show Peter Volandis that it's going to make business sense to move or to to go for the extra team. Um, so yeah, Dr. T, what are, what are your thoughts about, uh, the Redcliffe Dolphins? Are you impressed or, or do you think this is, uh, this is not the right fit for the NRL? Um, difficult to say. I think, uh, you know, the one, one thing is for sure. Um, the, the, he's the, the chairman, uh, is it the chairman? Who is it? The, that indicated, uh, yeah, club chairman Bob Jones was very confident, said, we are NRL ready, which means we are ready to go tomorrow if the NRL needs us. Uh, <laughs> you know, that's all well and good, but we're talking about a 10,000-seat stadium. This is not <laughs> – I mean, are we should we be impressed with a 10,000-seat stadium or should we be expecting, you know, upwards of 20,000, 30,000-seat stadium? You know, mm. we're talking about NRL here and – you know, we've after all that we've gone through in Sydney in terms of culling clubs that were averaging, you know, well above ten thousand in their, uh, uh, you know, in their heyday or even even in the not so heyday, uh, mm. we're talking about a new team which will house a maximum of ten thousand people in a yeah. newly built stadium. One wonders if that is uh, as future proofed as they could have made it. <laughs> you know, are they not expecting to grow? In interest, so mm. they're not expect. You know that, that there's things like that that makes me wonder how. You know, does the reality match the confidence of the CEO of the club chairman? I guess mm. of this. Having said that, if you just take that out of the equation, I think we've spoken about this in the past about the Dolphins being an interesting and very positive and marketable brand, uh, and and how you know whether whether it does make sense for a, a second Brisbane team to come from the Redcliffe area which I believe is the, the northern area. Is that right? The Morden Bay yeah. is kind of in the northern area. So we, we're essentially talking about a northern Brisbane team versus a central Brisbane team. And then about an hour, you know, a, a little bit further down south, we've got a Gold Coast team. And so, you know, potentially that's a good geographical spread in terms of mm. um, that that kind of uh, the, the, the twin metropolitan areas of Brisbane and Gold Coast. Um so yeah, strategically, geographically, potentially, the Dolphins is a is a good fit mm. in terms of the club leveraging an existing club that's had success over the years. Again, Redcliffe, uh, you know, Dolphins, of course, is one of those clubs that that it's, people know what it's about. I think we most people in Sydney may not have known of the Redcliffe Dolphins until we heard that uh, the Gold Coast Titans, who at one point were it was touted they would be called the Gold Coast Dolphins, had a legal battle with Redcliffe, who themselves were intent on joining the NRL. So from from a long, long time ago, decades ago, we've heard of the Redcliffe Dolphins. And so finally, we are close to this decision. Uh, in my view, they've got a, good, a better than a good chance of being selected, but there are a few others, other bids that also have a very strong uh, case to make and uh, potentially a little bit stronger than, than Redcliffe. But I think we wouldn't lose much if we had Redcliffe there. I think what they need to do is potentially show a little bit more about what kind of a 
following they will get? You know, will it be a, a team that will grow in in their following, or will it be limited by its geographical kind of isolation? from mm. the rest of Brisbane, you know, could it potentially, it's, it's, I guess, like saying, you know, if you're going to pick a team from Sydney to represent Sydney, would you pick Manly <laughs> or would you pick a, a team that represents, you know, a more widespread area, like one of the teams in Western Sydney or, or Central mm. Sydney? So it's that kind of a question, I think, that the NRL needs to decide. Uh, but, yeah, look, they're certainly confident, that's for sure, <laughs> that they've got all the, the pieces in place uh, so, yeah, looking forward to a decision, hopefully sometime soon. Uh, Tish, shall we move on to the final tackle? Let's get into the final tackle. All right. So the final uh, tips for uh, the regular season this year, and uh, it's going to be an interesting one. Uh, I'm not sure if we're keeping track, but I think uh, I'm on 75.5 and you're on 67.5. I think there's still <laughs> enough time for you to catch up. Okay, by the end of the year, depending on how we go. So uh, we still got final series, etc. And we'll probably go all the way into the, uh, you know, into the, the representative season as well until we get a clear winner between us this year, Tish. Mm. But here we go. Broncos versus Cowboys. Uh, I am going to tip the Cowboys. How about yourself? Yes, Cowboys for mine. So we are tipping the Broncos to receive that wooden spoon, I think it's fair to say. Yes. Uh, Titans versus Knights. Now, this is going to be an interesting one. Uh, I think the Knights have shown that, you know, come finals time, they want to get uh, a bit of momentum going. So I reckon the Knights, in, in a tight yeah. one, and I think in, a, in one where the Titans will actually uh, push them all the way. Yeah, I think they'll push him all the way and win. So I'm going to tip the Titans. Wow. I believe this will be their fifth win in a row. So that's, that's wow. pretty impressive. That is pretty yeah. impressive. Uh, unheard of five weeks ago, <laughs> but there you go. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> but you know, and they've certainly, you know, there was a time when they were kind of uh, you know equal with the other poorly performing Queensland teams. Uh, but, yeah, t- definitely the Titans are the winners of the best Queensland team this year and potentially, yeah, will do themselves proud coming in a, a, a ninth, I think, if they if they win for sure. Rabbitohs versus Roosters. Roosters for mine. Yeah, Roosters for mine in this one too. Nice and easy. Bulldogs and Panthers. Look, I think the Panthers will win this one. I don't think, uh, even if they put all their second grade team, I think they would still easily beat the Bulldogs. What about you, Tish? Um, yeah, I'm gonna tip the Panthers, but I think it'll be tight because I think I think the Panthers have struggled to sort of score points and so have the Bulldogs. <laughs> so I don't know how that will go down. But anyway. <laughs> Interesting. All right. Sharks versus Raiders. We talked about this a little earlier. Mm. Uh I think the Raiders will uh will beat them on this one. Uh yeah, I'm oh no, you know what? I'm gonna tip the Sharks. I think you know, you know the thing about the Sharks is that they have a few injuries, and I actually think they play better with the injuries because some of, yeah, yeah. I'm going to tip the Sharks. All right, and Tish, this is the ultimate grudge match. <laughs> it's your team versus my team, the Tigers versus the Eels. I'd like to say they were at home, but mm. we know that they both share the home ground of Banquist Stadium. <laughs> Tigers versus Eels. I'm going to tip the Eels on this one. What about you? Uh, well, look, I haven't, I haven't done so well tipping the Tigers all season, so but I've got to stick with them to the end. So the Tigers for mine. Um, yeah, we'll see how this one goes. 
All right, it will be interesting. And obviously, the Tigers trying to do it for pride. Mm. Uh, two other teams doing it for pride is Warriors versus Seagulls. I think with the emotion of this being the last match before they get to go home to their families, I think the Warriors will push. It'll push them over the line against mm. the Seagulls. So Warriors for mine. Yeah, I'm going to tip the Seagulls for the exact reason that you just said. <laughs> okay, they'll get too emotional. Too emotional. <laughs> well, here's a team that won't get too emotional: the Storm. Versus the Dragons. Uh, I'm tipping the Storm on this one. Yeah, I'm going to tip the Storm. bit hard to tip the Dragons. Uh, I don't even think Dean Young is going to try and tip the Dragons, which <laughs> he probably shouldn't be doing anyway. Yeah, that would be illegal. Please don't uh, suggest that. Yeah. You can't tip against your own team. Um, all right, well, that wraps up our uh, our tips and our six tackles and our podcast. Uh, thanks very much, Tish. And don't forget, everyone, if you want to, uh, get in contact with us, uh, just send us an email at rlrepublic at gmail.com. Check us out on our website, rlrepublic.com, on Facebook, on Twitter, on iTunes. Uh, download all of our podcasts and uh, let us know what you think. What would you like to hear us talk about in future? Are you happy with uh, with the amount of uh, of uh, <laughs> chatter that we we get through in uh, in in these episodes? What would you like us to focus on? And, of course, uh, when we can, we'll bring you some of our special episodes uh, later on this year as well. But as we get into the final series, we are obviously going to focus on these games and uh, bring you our best. Tish, uh, thank you very much for everything. Over to you to wrap this one up. Well, yeah, look, thank you, Dr. T, and uh, look, like to thank everybody out there for listening to the show. Uh, make sure you watch Rugby League this weekend, the final round, round, uh, round 20 of season 2020. But look, that's all that we have for this edition of the Rugby League Republic. We are your hosts, Tish and Dr. T. Join us next time on the Rugby League Republic. Bye for now. <laughs>